Good morning, everyone. All right, we're all here today? Good. Good to see you. Beautiful worship this morning, huh? Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, as, and, and I said it in the first service, you know, beautiful to see our young people up there, right? It, it's beautiful. And, I, you know, I think what Paul says to Timothy in the letter, he says, you know, don't let them think less of you because of your age. You know, they went up there and just gave it. They were all giving their gifts back to us. So thank you, worship team, this morning. So um, the title of my sermon this, morning, sermon this morning is A Spirit and Bible-Empowered Church. You know, and, and again, I know this sounds sort of logical or elementary, but, you know, I think there are some finer points of this that we miss. And so I'm hoping, I'm going to use a lot of scripture references throughout this, this uh, sermon, I'm hoping to present you with a spirit and Bible-empowered sermon this morning. So in recent months on Wednesday nights, we've been journeying through a lot of what some might call basic Bible doctrines. You know, there's a reason that we have kind of gotten back to the basics, and the reason for that is, is well, one, we had a merger. People were coming from all different places and, and, and sort of perspectives, and so, you know, as, as pastors, as leaders, our goal is, is to get everybody sort of on one accord, Right? That's what a shepherd does, right? He brings the flock together, the shepherd, and then, you know, they make sure that the sheep are united and then all eating and feeding from the same pasture. And so that's been sort of our focus is, is to kind of, you know, start back at the basics, but also within those basics, there is a lot of heaviness. There's a lot of theology that we need to consider. And so hopefully that, that'll be, you know, something that this sermon draws out of us. So we were talking about um, soteriology, which is the doctrines of salvation. We explore the, bl- the branch of Christian theology relating to the person, nature, and role of Jesus Christ, which is called Christology. And then we spent four or five weeks on what we call pneumatology, which is the study of the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk a lot about that today. And we're also moving into, as a se- in a season as a church, uh, where we're, we're studying more bibliology, which is the study of the Word of God, the Bible itself. You know, as Pastor mentioned, our small groups, uh, community groups as we call them, just started this uh, past week. We're launching week two today, as a matter of fact. We had 106 people show, show up and sign up for that. Isn't that amazing? Now, that says a lot. It says about, a lot about the church itself. It says a lot about you. It says that you want to be more connected. It says that you want to grow. It says that you're serious about this. And that's so encouraging to us as a leadership. And so I, can, I encourage you to continue on, to press on, as Paul says, to, to continue to grow together because it's in these smaller groups that growth and breakthrough and change happens. It really is. Don't get me wrong. I love Sundays. I love Wednesdays, but it's in the context of small groups Amen. that really powerful ministry happens. Intimacy happens, and that's, that's the design. So aside from the fact that these Bible basics are often neglected or not fully understood, there are also areas that we can divide on, and I don't want to talk about that too much today. What I want to talk about is what we need to unite on. 
So the goal of this sermon is, is when we talk about the Spirit and the Bible empowering us, it's also uniting us. It's bringing us together. It's bringing us closer to God. And then it's equipping and preparing us to do the ministry that God has called us to do. Because a lot of times, you know, we, we sort of come and drink from the well and then we leave and forget what we learned, what we were equipped with, and what God has called us to do. And so I pray that as we sip today, that, that God would transform us or you change some perspectives in this room, motivate us, Amen. give us a stronger desire yes. to be a connector to the community to shine our light wherever we go, wherever we are, whoever we're with, to be bold for the gospel, to be brave for Jesus. Because that's our purpose, church, isn't it? This is the church, and we say it over and over again because Scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against this people. And so we need to live as such. We need to believe as such. These are the promises of God. You know, our job from up here and, and, and through the leadership and, and study is to equip you. We've talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, right, where it's the pastors and the shepherds and the teachers. It's our job to ready you, the body, for ministry, not the other way around. It's not supposed to be us doing all the work, right? We're supposed to be equipping. You're supposed to be doing. And so in an effective church, in a healthy church, what you'll see is, is the five principles of, a, of an, we call it an Acts 2 church. And that's first, connection. Connection with God, connection with each other, right? And then we'll see growth happen because of those connections. So that growth, as we talked about, happens in these smaller groups most of the time. And then we'll see service happen. People will start serving. They'll want to get connected. They'll want to give back. They realize it's not about me. And so it's, it's been encouraging to see that as Willie and Christina have, have been taking more and more applications and meeting with more and more people to get them more involved in service in the church. And that's awesome. It really is. It's showing that you are all, again, committed to this, to this mission. Right? And then once we're serving, we're worshiping more deeply. Our worship becomes much more multifaceted, many-dimensional, if you will, and mature. And then we go. And we're going. We're moving. We're leaving these seats. We're leaving these doors. And we're hitting a community that needs to hear from us, that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to see what the love of Christ looks like, what it is, what it means for them. And so that's our goal. Those are our cards. We're showing them. This is intentional, church. We're being intentional together. You know? So, Pastor Brian preached an awesome message last week, if you were here, uh, on the Word of God, which actually makes my sermon a little easier today because I don't have to share all the information that he shared, right, all the facts about the Bible, and, and you know, I might touch on a couple of things, but I'm going to kind of, I'm going to be a little more spirit-heavy, and then we'll wrap it all up at the end, but... I, I want us to, again, we're, we're going through these community groups. We're talking about the Word of God there. That's what our focus is. Wednesday nights, our focus is, is on the Word of God. So I think we're learning. So what I want to really look at is, is the Spirit of God right now. If we're looking at empowerment, right, it's important we understand what that means. But first, I, I just want to share this. Let's pray first. 
Father, I just ask you now to take over, to do what you do, where the ordinary can become extraordinary, where, where hearts can be changed and transformed, lives can be re- redirected and eternities rerouted. I ask you to use me, Lord. Speak to me and through me, God, as you minister to your people and give everyone here, including me, a heart to receive, a spirit that will receive what it is you have for us today. So go before us now. Equip us, change us. This isn't just another Sunday, God. This is another day in your presence. This is another day that we have the opportunity to seek your glory and your purpose. We just sang these beautiful words. Now let them live out in our lives, God. Let them play out here in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past 12 years of ministry, I've been truly blessed. Beginning while I was still in Teen Challenge, I had the opportunity to visit many churches. As a matter of fact, this was the first church I ever shared my my testimony in in New Bedford. And I remember how nerve-wracking it was standing on this platform First time coming to see a lot of people that I knew or knew my past. It was that day that Pastor Joe Vargo cornered me in the third row, right where Chelsea's sitting right there. And he said, young man. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, the Lord told me to tell you you're going to be a pastor one day. And I laughed and said, we got to get out of this church. They're crazy here. (laughs) Here I am. Standing on the very platform. Amazing. So through the choir ministry, we would go to all these different churches every Sunday, and we would go to various towns, and and we would share in these various denominational churches and, and different church cultures. Any of my Teen Challenge friends in here know what I'm talking about. And it was a blessing. It was interesting, because, man, when I talk, when you talk about variety... I mean, we were at a different church. And when I say different, I don't mean different and they're not the same as the last week. I mean different. <laughs> Some of these churches were wild. But we experience the body in a deeper way. We get to see culture, church culture, in a different way. And so when I got back home, that journey for me sort of continued because we had started a ministry called the Acts 29 Project. And I believe CFC was one of our supporters, and that would bring me to various local churches looking for support. And as an associate pastor who doesn't preach every Sunday, I've had the privilege of filling in for area pastors when they're either sick or on vacation. So this has been a huge blessing, as you can imagine, and it's not only allowed me to witness and experience various parts of the body, but also to learn and understand some of the church's strengths as well as its weaknesses. And it's made me better, and it's helping to grow me through that process. It's given us vision as well, right? But I'm going to tell you something that we all need to embrace and understand, is that there's no such thing, and I know some of you might argue with me, and that's okay, as a perfect church. One of the reasons, well, the biggest reason for that is is us, because the church is people, and people are imperfect. So we bring our sin, we bring our flaws, and we we put everybody together in the same room or in the same ministries and the same studies, and something's bound to happen, isn't it? But that's good. That's where growth comes from. But without direction, it would be a total mess, wouldn't it? 
Without the Spirit of God, without the Word of God empowering us, we could never do this. It would never happen. And then there's no such thing as a perfect denomination either. And there's no such thing as perfect theology. Not one of us in this room possesses that. So that should humble us all. It should level the playing field, sort of, if you will. And something I have seen is, some, is, is that some churches are really what I call Holy Spirit heavy. Meaning that they're more focused on the Spirit and having an experience with Him, but might be a little deficient when it comes to biblical knowledge or their focus on the Word of God. And then other churches, well, they can be sort of Bible heavy. Right, And what I mean by that is, is that they focus so much on Scripture, knowledge, theology, and secondary doctrines that they miss having an experience with the Holy Spirit, or at least not to the fullest extent. Right? There's a quote, and Alistair Begg shared this recently in, in one of his podcasts, and he says, if you have the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. If you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. But if you have both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. And that's our goal, isn't it? We want to grow individually. We want to grow as a church. Again, for the purpose of reaching the loss, for illuminating Christ wherever we are. So our goal, as it should be, is to make sure we understand that it's through a healthy focus on Scripture and knowledge and awareness of the Holy Spirit that individually and corporately we can become that people. One does not work without the other. We won't fire on all pistons. The Spirit illuminates the Word and even allows it to make sense to us. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's, in verse 18 it says, It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved... It's the power of God. It's the power of God. We realize it as such. We receive it as such. And it transforms us as such. See, the word without a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit will only fill us full of knowledge, but not allow us to live out the precepts and commands that God has for us. But before I get further into the importance of the joint empowerment of the Spirit and the Word, I think we should talk a little bit about the Spirit. That's going to be my focus more. See, as I mentioned, a a group of us just went through this in greater detail on Wednesday night, so it might be a little redundant or repetitive to those 60 or 70 people, but bear with me as I build the framework around this sermon. See, I can tell you all day long to be spirit-empowered. We can preach and teach that all we want, but if we don't know the spirit, who he is, what he does, then we can't even begin to allow him to empower empower us, right? So who is he? Who's the Holy Spirit? That's it, I'm done. (laughs) That's right, he's God. Thank you. Someone's paying attention. Personhood is the quality or condition of being an individual person. It's the state or fact of being a person. It's when we say the Holy Spirit is a person, we're saying he possesses certain qualities just like you and I as we're individuals, as we're people. He has a will. He has desires. He has emotions. We can grieve him, it says. He has a purpose, a will to sanctify us, to make us like Jesus. 
And so I want to look at some of the ways he's described in Scripture. And it says he's a helper, he's a comforter, he's a counselor, he's an advocate. We read that throughout John chapter 14, right? And then we see him as an intercessor in Romans chapter 8. Psalm 139, David says, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. No matter where I go, there you are, God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. He is God. He possesses these divine qualities because he is that divine person. Amen? So that's what this means is, is that he's a he, not an it. And I think sometimes we misunderstand that. That we look at the spirit as a thing. The spirit is a he. He's part of the triune God. He is the third person of the Godhead. And so he's not this emotion or feeling that we've minimized him to. I think a lot of times that's what we do is we, we, we think like, oh, I didn't feel the presence of God today. I didn't feel the spirit in the sanctuary or during worship today. Anyone ever guilty of saying that? But it's not, the, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The scriptures clearly say he's here when we're together, when we're gathered, he's present. When we believe, he's in us. So wherever we go, there he is. The problem is, the block is, is us, not him. So if we're relying on a song, and if we're relying on, on, a, on an inspirational word, then we're missing it. Because it's our job to press in. It's our job, as we just sang, to look for that refreshing, to look for that connection, to allow him to empower us. It's not about emotions. And I think that's what happens when we, when we, 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 we again, minimize him to being just a feeling. Emotions lie to us. They're fleeting. They're up. They're down. They change with our moods and our situations and our circumstances. But when we're connected and walking with the Spirit, it says in, in Galatians chapter 5 that we experience his love. We experience his joy. We experience his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, his faithfulness, his self-control. We become like him. Hallelujah. And so that's the purpose. That's the point of us submitting and surrendering to the Spirit of God. Because now we have the fruit of the Spirit. Not just an emotional high. I, I have a diagram I want to share you to confuse you guys a little. Just kidding. Hopefully, it actually clarifies a little bit. Because I know, you know, we hear the word Trinity. We talk about the Godhead, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But a lot of times, we don't understand. What does that look like? What does that mean? Right? It's almost like one of those who's on first skits. <laughs> but the reality is, is, if you look, you'll see, you know, God is God. And, and he's not, he's, God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Spirit. But he, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and so on. We said the Spirit is God, but it's important for us to understand that he is not the Father, not the Son. Each person of the Trinity has their specific role, their specific purpose. And so understanding that, understanding, see, like I said, we can't be empowered by him if we don't even know him. 
if we don't understand his purpose, how he works in our lives. Because the spirit is divine, he receives the worship due the father and son. And I think a lot of time he's neglected. He almost becomes a vehicle for us. We just look at him as as the helper, which he is, but he never gets our worship. And I think that's important that we understand that because he is divine, because he is equal, an equal person in that trinity, that he deserves our worship as well. He's not to be abused. He's not to be exploited for our own personal gain or for our spiritual superiority. He's not to be blasphemed. He's to be honored and revered and worshiped just as we worship the Father and the Son. Amen? He does divine works. He inspires scripture according to 2 Peter chapter 1. In Titus 3.5, it says that he actually regenerates our hearts. He changes our hearts. He gives us a heart of flesh in exchange for that heart of stone. Right? And then, and I love this, you know, he was there at creation. We see right away, second verse of Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. He was there at the beginning. You know, a lot of people misunderstand. They think that he didn't come or he was created or he came after Jesus left when he was given to the disciples in that upper room that day. But he had existed long before that. He wasn't new. He just came at that time. That was the promise. So he could accomplish the things that he was purposed to do for us, in us, through us. Jesus said, you'll do greater things than I have. We'll be empowered by the same spirit that raised him from the death. That same spirit lives in us. Hebrews 9 says he's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is. So throughout the New Testament, we also see that he played a huge part of Jesus' ministry. Right? We see his work at the incarnation of Christ. We see his work in the miracles that Jesus performed. When he, when he gave the blind sight, when he called Lazarus out of the grave. When Peter walked on water. When he healed, delivered, and restored We see that throughout his ministry. And then we see him again, as I said, at the resurrection. The Holy Spirit works in and through us also in the conversion process. And I think this is something we all need to be clear on and understand. I think a lot of times we we fall into fear or doubt or worry. Am I saved? How do I get saved? Right? I just want to reassure you all something. Conversion, let's talk about what this is. It's a spiritual change from sinfulness to righteousness, from disbelief or unbelief to faith. We call it justification. We call it salvation. But conversion is a change, a radical change, where we weren't believing and all of a sudden, boom, the reality of Christ becomes real in our life. And we don't have much explanation for that, personally, do we? Because it's miraculous. Because we're finite, and it's beyond our finite understanding to some degree. 
And that's why we have the word. So we can understand this a little bit. But in pre-conversion, prior to us being saved, prior to, our, to us being converted, prior to anyone placing his or her faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is involved in setting the conditions that actually allow for someone's faith response to the gospel. He sets those conditions. How does he do that? Well, we see it in John chapter 16, right? Where it talks about how he convicts us of sin and of truth. Because prior to that moment where regeneration starts happening, we're not even aware and we don't care about sin. We don't care about truth. Truth is relative. Truth can't be known, we say. Listen, put your ear to the ground right now. Watch the news. Talk to your unbelieving friends. Go on social media and you'll hear it constantly. There's no absolute truth. Truth is what you make it. Truth is what works for you in the context of your life, but that's nonsense. The word is proof. The spirit is proof. God's will is proof that there are absolute truths that we need to live by and know. And so prior to our conversion, what ends up happening is, is all of a sudden we're, we're moving along, we're having a grand old time, <laughs> Right? Some of us are struggling, some of us are hurting, some of us are lonely, we're lost, we're sick, whatever it is, and all of a sudden, we start to realize our sin. It's not so comfortable anymore, is it? You start to go, oh, I got to change this. I got to stop doing this. And then we actually even have a desire to know God. We actually start to seek after him. We actually start to care. What is this truth? And how does it pertain to me? And he starts to reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit starts to show you this good, that bad. <laughs> Simplistically at first. But then all of a sudden, you know, that's the conditions that allow for someone's faith response to the gospel, right? All of a sudden, the truth in its fullness, the gospel in its fullness, fullness hits us and it's like, Boom. It just makes sense. This is what I've been looking for. This is the answer I've needed my whole life. This is why I'm so incomplete. This is why I've had such a hole in my heart and in my life and in my spirit for so long. And that's the Holy Spirit working in you and preparing you and bringing you into that moment, right? So that's the conversion. And that's Titus 3.5 where it says, God saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of the new birth, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, all based on his mercy, his love, his grace. So when we're regenerated by the Spirit of God, we can say that we are being made clean or washed through this new birth in the blood of Christ. We're being washed. We're being made clean. We're being renewed. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Upon conversion, Paul also says that the believer in Jesus Christ is baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, where it says, by one spirit, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit, one God, one baptism, one body. This is it. It's one truth. And that's hard too in this day and age, isn't it? 
Because culture, because there's so many other religions, and people love to say that all, all gods are the same or all religions lead to the same God, all have, are good and have purpose, but I'll argue that because if it's not full truth, it's blasphemy, it's heresy, it's sin. And so it's so important that we respond to the Spirit of God. Let me just say this. Every single one of you who are sitting in this room today, every single one of you who are here right now, right in this moment, listening to the Word of God, it is by grace you are here. Some of you didn't even want to come today. Some of you weren't sure if you were going to make it. Some of you aren't in the best season of your life right now. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are in great places. Doesn't matter. You know, you might have got invited here by somebody and you think, oh yeah, I'll check it out. That's God working in your life. It's his grace. It's his spirit. He's led you here. He's brought you here. He's got something for you in this room today. And so it's our job to receive that. It's our job to see what it is God has for us. And like I said, that truth, that power that we need to latch on to, it's different. It's different than any other religion or philosophy, isn't it? The other religions of philosophy put us at the head. They, they make us responsible. All the power is in our hands. It's by our will. It's how good we are. It's, it's how big of a ladder we can build to, to reach God. The reality is, is, is through Jesus Christ, God has already reached down to us. And all we need to do is surrender to that fact. I pray if this is your first time hearing that, the, the gospel is simply this, that we've all sinned. As I said earlier, we're all imperfect. And the penalty for that is a separation from God for, forever. But because of his love and his mercy and his grace in our lives, because of the fact that he cares so much about us, he sends his son to die for us. And our faith in him is all it takes. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not about religion. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good he is. He's invading your life right now. He's working in you in one of these areas, pre-conversion, conversion, post-conversion, post -conversion, whatever it is, he's here, he's now, he's doing this. We're just messengers. We use our gifts, and he does the rest. So I want you to think about this. At the time of conversion, the Bible tells us that we become temples of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that. Some of us might be a little more ornate than others. <laughs> Some of us are a little prettier as far as temples go. But God inhabits all of us. We're beautiful to him. And we're sealed, it says. We're sealed by the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. Sealed. It's, it, it's like, you know, we talked about it on Wednesday night. You know, back in the old days, kings would wear their family crest ring. And when they would send out a letter or a decree, what they would do is they would wax, they would melt the wax and they would stick that family crest on there to show where it came from and who it belonged to. That's the seal we have on our souls right now, folks. Those of us who are in Christ, we're sealed with the family crest of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. It says, I am his. He is mine. So we're now in the spirit.
spirit and we no longer have to be slaves to the flesh. And that's Romans chapter eight that says that. That's the conversion work. That's, that's what the spirit of God does at conversion. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. You know, I think sometimes we're looking too far or in the wrong places for miracles or what we deem to be miracles. But I'm going to tell you, you take a deep breath right now. Everybody just go, hold it, hold it. No, this is a COVID check. No, I'm just kidding. And then you breathe out. You know what you just did? You just participated in creation, not just your own life. As you breathed in the oxygen that the trees gave us, you breathed out carbon dioxide that they need for photosynthesis so that they can eat and so that this atmosphere can sustain all life. Isn't that amazing? Stop looking in the wrong places for miracles. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. A changed heart is a miracle. Someone who lived a certain way their whole life. Someone who walked in darkness and sin. Ephesians 2 says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. You were objects of wrath like the rest of them. But God, but God, who was rich in mercy and love, rescued us. He saved us in Christ Jesus. That's a miracle. Like I said, that heart of stone becoming a heart of flesh is a miracle. I'm that guy in my life up until about 12 years ago. I'm that guy. Nobody sees me up here. Nobody even sees me alive in 12 years at that point. I'm dead or in jail. That's it. I'm counted out. You know, God got a hold of me. God got a hold of me. I didn't decide to turn my life around. I didn't decide to say, oh, I'm going to be better. I didn't get into a behavioral modification system. God invaded my life. He is not a gentleman. (laughs) God kicks down doors. God overwhelms and overcomes lives. And we have got to accept him as such and revere him as such. He is an omnipotent, omniscient God. Omniscient God. He is there. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere we can go, Psalm 139, as I said, where we can escape him. Stop running. Some of you are running today. Some of you are denying today. Some of you have gifts and purposes and callings. And you know what you're doing? You're running. You're not allowing God to to use you. You're not allowing God to minister to you. You're not allowing God to change and transform your life. And you're missing it. You're missing what he says in John 10.10 is the fullness of life. The fullness of life is having all the fullness of God in everything you are and everything that you do. And it's undeniable. The joy is present. There's a light on in you when you have that. My spirit recognizes your spirit when that happens. You know when you've encountered God through people. Amen? Amen? There's something different about them, isn't it? They're a little weird, peculiar maybe, kind of nice. They like to hug. Who doesn't like to hug in here? Let's weed out the unsafe. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. So I want to talk about post-conversion. I want to talk about what he does once we're saved. So as I said, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it happens at conversion, right? But the filling of the Spirit can happen multiple times after conversion, and it's also commanded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Some of you were filled today during worship, right? Some of you are feeling filled right now. The Word is, is just resonating in you. 
It's resounding. And so you felt filled in that moment or in this moment. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. Yes, are we emotional creatures? Yes, we are. God created us that way. There's nothing wrong with emotions. We just can't allow that to be our Christian walk. We have to have control of those emotions. They have to be surrendered to God. But to be filled with the Spirit, as Paul says, we call that, and and it just depends on what denomination or church you grew up in. But there's different words for it. I, I've heard things like second baptism or, or baptism of the Holy Spirit or second blessing to describe these post-conversion fillings, if you will. Regardless of what you call it, we're most likely talking about the same exact thing because the purpose and effect are the same. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. It's empowering. And its purpose is to equip and empower us for ministry. The filling of the Spirit is at the forefront propelling Paul's ministry, and it should be at the forefront of ours. So essentially, to be filled with the Spirit, as Paul talks about, is to be empowered by the Spirit. That's what it is. It's an empowerment, and it comes, and it comes, and it comes, the more surrendered we are. You know why we have to keep surrendering And keep seeking that filling. Because we're sinful. Because we love our sin. And because we are in this battle with the flesh until we die. Philippians 1.6 says that he is completing that work in us. And will continue it until that day. But it's ongoing. Because we revert back. Our default nature isn't so good, is it? We have to fight to be righteous. We have to fight to be surrendered. We have to fight to be committed to God. We even have to fight sometimes just to get in the car and come to church because of our sin nature. The filling, this filling, this empowerment leads us to receiving what we call the spiritual gifts. And these gifts come from the Spirit and have a very specific purpose. As I said, it's to be used for the edification and the benefit of everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. These manifestations are not for us. So as we grow and we mature in our faith, we must come to realize that spiritual gifts are not for us personally. They're not for, for my benefit, but for the larger body and those we serve, and obviously and ultimately for the glory of God. And some of us exploit these things, don't we? I say we because we got to take responsibility collectively for the church. Because we're in this together. We're a body. And so when one fails, we all fail essentially. And I'll prove that. Because how many times have you encountered somebody, I know I did prior to my conversion, I had some bad experiences with some religious people. And those religious people can ruin it for the whole sometimes, can't they? They can make our discussions, our evangelism, and proselytizing much more difficult than it needs to be. Because what they've done is muddied the waters of who Christ is. They've forgotten when you're talking to an unsaved person, a lost person. They don't even get it. It's foolishness to them. It's what the Word says. So our job, our command is to love them. That's our greatest command, right? Love God and love others. It's so crazy how simple that is, but how bad we are at it. 
scary. But the reality is, is that, you know, we need to make sure that, that we're carrying ourselves, that we're using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God and for the purpose of others. Otherwise, we get puffed up. We get spiritually proud. Right? My church is more spiritual than your church. You sound like children. Oh, you don't do that there? Oh, we do. Great. Anyways, I digress. When we bypass growth for gifts, we neglect the post-conversion sanctification process in our lives. If all we want is gifts, then we better check our hearts. Because I'm going to tell you right now, we ought, we ought not to have any gift at all if we're not mature enough for them. All we're going to do is sin. All we're going to do is hurt others, hurt ourselves, and dishonor God. We cannot manifest the gifts of the Spirit in ourselves. The Spirit gives as He wills, as He sees fit. Sure, we can seek after the gifts, right? But we cannot manifest them. That's why they're called gifts. They're not awards. Okay? The Spirit gives as he sees fit, where he wills, as I said, as a person in his nature. He says, this person ought to have that, and that person ought to have this, and it's for the betterment of all, because I want this church to glorify God. And we cannot manifest these gifts of the Spirit in other people. And I've heard that a lot too, and so I want to correct that right now. The reality is, is I can't tell you to do this in the spirit or that in the spirit or use this gift or have this gift because I'm not the spirit. The gifts of the spirit come from him and they come through surrender to him. And so when we start to tell other people that they ought to worship like me and serve like me and look like me and I'm creating a carbon copy of me in in that, I'm blaspheming the Holy Spirit, essentially. And we need to be aware of that. We are unique for a reason. We are all different. We're like God's fingerprints. It's amazing, isn't it? Just the way you're receiving what I'm saying right now, where you are in your life, how you perceive information, how you look at things, where you are spiritually, whether you're more of a logical thinker or an emotional thinker, Right? There's all these different factors that come into play. We're different shapes, sizes, colors. And, and he says it doesn't matter to Jew or Greek, slave or free. It doesn't matter. The gospel is for all of us. We're one family under God. Amen? Amen. That's the point. So these These gifts, as I said, they only come when we're surrendered and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so this empowerment, there's something that I I just want to touch on one thing, gifts, before I wrap this part up, is, is this, is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the first few verses, he makes it very clear that without love, all of it is useless. He says, you are a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if you do not have love. 
I don't care what language you can speak. I don't care what your gifts are. I don't care how supernatural you are. If you have no love in your life, you're nothing. That's our first and most important gift, isn't it? How many of you, before coming to Christ and being indwelled or filled with the Holy Spirit, were able to love the way you do now? It's supernatural, isn't it? I mean, it's unbelievable, the ability to forgive and reconcile. The ability to sort of see people who maybe have sinned against you or let you down. To be able to love them and forgive them and to see them through God's eyes and to understand that that's an empowerment of the Spirit of God. Don't neglect that. If you're hating people, if you're not forgiving people, if you're not loving people, it says that the love of God isn't even in you. So we need to remember that. We have a call. We're ministers of reconciliation now. We're ambassadors for Christ. You're stuck here. <laughs> Welcome. Close the doors. <laughs> this is your job. This is your ministry. Church, we need the Spirit of God if we're going to do this right and glorify God in the process. There's absolutely no other way. Because Jamie, the flesh, the man doesn't want to do half of what God is calling me to do or leading me to do half the time. And not only that, not only do I not want to, I'm not able to. I'm not able to. D.L. Moody says this. He says, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God in your heart. I mean, what a profound statement, right? And it's true. So I just want to touch briefly because Pastor Brian was pretty thorough last week on the word and the facts. I just want to remind you this, that the Holy Scriptures are the eternal word of God. They are his actual voice. And so we're calling, our, we're calling you all, we're calling the church to be empowered by the word and the spirit. We need to understand that that's the, we're being empowered by God's voice, by God's very word. Inspired by him. And it's, it's where we can go to find the revelation of God, possess the power of God, know the authority of God, the instructions, commands, and compass for his people. And it's where we can go to know the very heart of God. If we want to fall in love with God, if we want to know who he is, the character of God, the will of God, we go to the scriptures. It's not a willy-nilly feeling. Oh, I don't think God would like... It. My God isn't that way. I don't feel God would do this. I don't feel God likes that. Go to the word. Our default position typically when the stuff hits the fan is what? Do we immediately surrender to the spirit of God and go to the word of God? I'd love to say, yeah, we of course all do that. But we love pity parties. We love to go on our social media and let everybody know how we're feeling, how bad life is, how much we're struggling. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing to appeal to people for prayer. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is as Christians who are supposed to demonstrate the love and life of Jesus Christ, the first thing Jesus did, he went to the word, he went to prayer. That's what Jesus did. Look at the garden. Look at what he did when he was overwhelmed. He retreated in prayer. He didn't go find an apostle that would, he could vent to. You know, Peter, I'm just so sick of James lately. 
I wish he would just listen. I don't think he did that, do you? And we do that, don't we? We look for co-signers and enablers. We call it venting and we call them soundboards. But the reality is, is we're inviting them into our sin. We're complaining. Call it what it is. You know? One of the best things, and my brother was here at the first service. He was my roommate at Teen Challenge, you know, and he was tough. He's a tough kid from the streets of Brockton. He was a gangbanger, and, and, and I love him to death because he had no problem telling me what I needed to hear. Best thing, God put him in my life. But I'll never forget this. I was at Teen Challenge. I was pressed in. I, w- I was serving. God was changing my life radically. I was, uh, you know, on a mountaintop for a long, lot of the time I was there because it was all new to me. I was experiencing God in a whole new way, and I was literally not a drug addict anymore. Like, that's all I knew my whole life. So it was so crazy because, you know, I, I worked with a very difficult leader. We'll, we'll say that to make it sound nice. And he didn't like me too much. And so he made my days very difficult. And so I would go at the end of the day as we're laying in bed once the lights are out, and I would complain about him. I would talk about how unfair he was and how if I was coming here to get well, why would they allow this guy, you know, to speak and lead our lives? And then finally, he just looked over at me after a few nights of hearing it, and he went, you complain a lot. (laughs) And I was like, but, uh," and I stopped and I thought about what he was saying because I know him to be a friend. I know he loves the Lord. I know he loves me. So if he's saying that to me, he doesn't walk around criticizing me. He's not this guy who who doesn't want to see me win. And I heard that, and I remember thinking to myself, damn, I do complain a lot. That was such a big moment of victory for me. 11 o'clock at night in the dark on a Tuesday in drug rehab. I had a breakthrough that changed my life forever. I'd love to say I've never complained again, but I'd be lying. That's another area God's worked in me. I'm much more truthful now. Sola Scriptura, right? Scripture alone is the authoritative, is the authoritative um, standard for faith and practice of Christians. So the word of God, Tozer says, well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. We need to stop cherry picking, church. We need to stop just reading what we're okay with, what, what agrees with us or our beliefs or where we are. Sometimes we need, as Second Timothy says, we need the correction. We need the rebuke of God. Right? And so that's important because if we're reading all of Scripture, there's going to be guaranteed a moment where you read and go, I don't like that. I don't like that. That bothers me. That convicts me. That forces me to see things differently. But I can't undo it because it's God's voice. And we only get to that place if we're reading the full counsel of God. Amen? Get in a small group. Get in a Bible study. Come out to Wednesday nights. Dig in more. Read on your own. Do that for yourself if you want to be whole, church. I love what Francis Chan says. He says, don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. <laughs> really simple. It kind of reminds me of, of, of you know, James 4.17 where it says, you know, if you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, then it's sin. James doesn't pull any punches either, right? We know what we ought to do. You just got to stop sinning and do it. So 
Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness, with thankfulness in, in your hearts to God. Excuse me. A Bible-empowered church lets the word dwell in them richly, and the overflow of that is proper worship, grateful hearts, wisdom, and righteous living that points to the glory of Christ. That's what, what happens when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So let me just tie this all together. The, the, the whole point is, is when we're empowered by the word, when we're empowered by the spirit, we become whole. A whole in Christ. Whole as a church. Whole as a person. And then we become better equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. To shine our light wherever we go. This building is not church. This is a church building. The people are the church. We cannot say that enough. We are just trying to equip and ready you all for when you walk out those doors because the world hates us. That's a reality. The world hates us because it hated him first. The world hates God. They have a version of him, most people, but it's not the right one. It's not the biblical one. And so we're going to get attacked when we stand up for the one true God. Amen? If we're putting the Bible in its proper place and understanding and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, then we'll experience this fullness of God in our lives, and it will change us and everyone around us forever. These things are not mutually exclusive, church. We cannot have one without the other and call ourselves a full gospel church. Worship team can come on up. When we're filled and walking with the Spirit, then we'll produce what I said and what the Bible calls is spiritual fruit or fruit of the Spirit. We'll discover and we'll use our spiritual gifts in the right context and God will be glorified through our focus and our service to others. But when we allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, then we'll also live in obedience to it. We will respond to its authority with joy and gladness. Not begrudgingly. The byproduct of these things is a people that are firing on all godly pistons. The result will be spiritual growth, effectiveness for the kingdom, and a people that are walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And that's the goal. We don't want to be half-hearted. We don't want to be a weak, powerless church, do we? What do we want to be, church? What will our legacy be here in the greater New Bedford area? We have to ask ourselves that because we're not just visitors here in this building. We are members. We are part of this body. We're representatives for Christ. We're representatives for CFC. What do we want our legacy in the greater New Bedford area to be? When this all burns and everything goes to ash, who was CFC? What did they do? How did they stand for Christ? How did they glorify God? How did they reach people? How did they change lives? How did they serve their community? How did they love their families? How did they love their spouses? How did they raise their children? What kind of employees were they? 
We put stickers on our cars. We wear the sweatshirts and t-shirts. But the reality is, is those things only mean what we put behind them. And so our job is to make that mean something, church. And that only happens is when we're empowered by God. Let's be empowered by God's spirit and God's word so that we rattle the gates of hell and win people for Christ. Amen? Let's stand up and worship him one more time.